are celebrating Advent um, and celebrating this, this season together as a church family. And Brandon mentioned at the beginning, you, you may be familiar with this Advent season or this may be something that, that's, that's new to you. Maybe you didn't grow up in church at all or uh, maybe you grew up in a faith tradition that, that didn't really uh, practice Advent. Some of you, you had the calendar in your home. Some of you, you had the candles in your home and some of you, some of you didn't. And that's okay, no matter where you come in here, uh, no matter what your kind of history is um, with this season. I kind of want to just kind of name what this season is about, uh, what these next four weeks together are, are going to be about. So Advent is this season kind of marked by expectation, um, this season marked by longing. And that's really why the term Advent is used. That's why we use this word to describe this season, because this word, like Brandon mentioned, literally means coming into being, coming into being. And so we have the advent of spring each year. We have the advent of spring as it comes and it arrives. In 2007, this may help you, we had the advent of the iPhone into our world. So this is kind of what, what advent means. And so Christians for about the past 1,600 years have celebrated the advent of Christ, celebrated the coming of Christ. And what I discovered this week is the main emphasis for hundreds of years was actually on the expectation of Christ's second coming. This anticipation, this longing for this moment when Christ comes again, this moment where all things are made new. This moment I think we all deep down long for when Christ will claim fully what is his, when he will restore all things, when all tears will be wiped away. No more pain, no more hurt. This, this is the longing, this is the expectation that we have this, this Christmas season. And so for the next three weeks, we're gonna be looking at kind of four elements of Jesus in light of this Advent season. We're gonna look at the hope uh, that Jesus brings. We're, we're gonna look at the love that Jesus uh, displays to us. Uh, we're gonna look at the peace and the joy that Christ so, so desires to give us. We're gonna examine this morning this idea of hope. It's the week of hope uh, in the Advent kind of calendar. This week, we're, we're gonna meditate, we're gonna examine the, the hope that Jesus gives us. A different kind of hope. If I had to kind of title the, the message this morning, that's, that's what it would be, a different kind of hope. And the way we're gonna do this is we're actually gonna look at two texts this morning. One, we're gonna look at uh, one in Luke and then one in Ephesians. And we don't normally do this, so we're gonna kind of be flipping back and forth. So if you wanna kind of flip to Luke and kind of hold your finger there and then flip back to Ephesians chapter one in both books, if you're using one of our Bibles, uh, 714 and 814 are the pages that we're gonna be reading. And so this first text in Luke is the essentially the announcement of hope that's getting ready to enter into the world. The announcement of hope. And then the second text in Ephesians is gonna to point to our future hope. It's gonna to point to this second coming of Christ that we long for. 
We're gonna look at both this morning. We're gonna start by reading in Luke chapter one, verse 26, page 714. So it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, that's important. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Okay, before we just breeze past and keep reading, this in and of itself just captured me this week. And it, maybe you've heard this a number of times or maybe you've even read this part of the story, but think here for, for just a moment, like what is actually happening? An angel sent from God appears to Mary. Imagine an angel comes to you and says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And this isn't just a friend saying this to you. This is an angelic presence in your midst. Let's keep reading though, verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I bet she was. But the angel of the Lord said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That's important. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, this is her cousin, your relative, is gonna have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. She's gonna give birth to John the Baptist who's gonna go before Jesus. Verse 37, it says, for no word from God will ever fail. It's important. No word from God will ever fail. And in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May your word to me be fulfilled. All right, let's go ahead and jump to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter one, verse 11 says, in him, okay, so we're talking about Jesus still. We're clearly not having as much fun as the kids back there though. <laughs> I love it, I love it. Maybe one day that is what our worship will sound like in here. I pray, that would be amazing. So Ephesians chapter one, verse 11, we're, we're gonna kind of look at this promise of his second coming. Still talking about Jesus here. It says, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Listen to this. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Verse 13, it says, and you also were included in Christ. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance unto the redemption of those who are in God's possession, pointing to the second 
coming of Christ here. Hope. Hope. What is hope? I just looked up a few definitions of what hope is, just kind of trying to wrap my mind around it. So I kind of want to start there. This is our starting place, a common definition of how hope is defined. Number one, to cherish with a desire. To cherish with a desire and an anticipation. Second definition I probably like the most though. To hope is to desire with expectation of obtainment or fulfillment. To desire with an expectation of obtainment or fulfillment. For those of you that don't know, Keila and I own a dog. Uh, we've had a dog for the past four years. Um, early on in our marriage, uh, for the first couple of years, we did not own a dog. I refer to these years as the peaceful years. Um, <laughs> Keila would refer to these years as uh, the years of hope. Um, and that's hope for a dog, that is. Now, honestly, if you want a picture of hope, it was Keila during our first two, two years of being married. Her eyes were fixed on a certain outcome. Her mind was transfixed on something that, that would happen. It was not a matter of if, but when. Um, and I tried my best, honestly, to rid her of this hope. Um, <laughs> I, I, I used as much communication as I knew was possible. I used all of the logic that I had within me to, to reason with her I, that this, this hope would not come to fruition. Now, before you think I'm just an evil person, I love dogs, I grew up with dogs. I saw a dog in our distant future, not our present, not our present future, but Keila kind of had a different idea of, of a timeline. And so she really lived into the definition to, to desire with an expectation of obtainment. And eventually her hope overpowered my logic and uh, we got a seventh, seven month old puppy uh, for her birthday uh, four years ago. And our life, life has never been peaceful since, but that's not, no, I'm just kidding, I love our dog. But this, this is a picture of hope, knowing, knowing something is going to come true, even though maybe the circumstances don't tell you that it is. And this morning, we're going to be talking about a different kind of hope. You know, I think maybe in our current culture, maybe in our English language, when we use the word hope, we use, we use that word a little bit differently. You know, typically, we would say, I don't know if it's going to happen, and I hope it happens. And hope is not wishful thinking. But we typically will use the term hope more from a place of fear than how it's actually intended to be used. It's actually being used from a motivation in a place of fear rather than a longing and hope of what is actually to come. Because here's the reality, a different kind of hope. When you read the word hope in the Bible, there's not this uncertainty uh, that it's marked with when I think we typically use it. So when you read in Ephesians the word hope or you read in 1 Peter the word hope, it's read a little bit differently. It's interpreted and used a little bit differently. So think about it in 1 Peter. It says, set your hope 
fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not, I don't know if it's gonna happen. Oh, but I hope so. You see, Christian hope is when God has promised that something is going to happen and then you put your hope in that promise. See, the Christian hope is a confidence that something will come to pass because God has promised that it will come to pass. And this morning, we're gonna look at why the hope we have as followers of Jesus is so important. Why it is so important, why it's so different than what most of the world puts their hope in. And I I think that in this season, when hope is put into so many things and so many places that are only gonna turn out hopeless, our Christian hope, the hope that we have in Jesus, has an opportunity to shine brighter than ever. And so let's look back at Ephesians here and begin to kind of unpack this hope. Verse 12, it lets us know the starting place as followers of Jesus. It says, okay, you put your hope in Christ. Verse 12, it says, that's actually where you begin. So as followers of Jesus, hope is a prerequisite because Hope is the starting line. That moment that you give your life to Jesus, that moment that you decide to follow Jesus, you are putting your hope in Christ. And so in order to call ourselves believers, if you're a follower of Jesus, hope is a part of the equation from the very onset. But here's the thing. Paul actually continues in Ephesians and he says, He says another prayer a few verses later. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. That you would know the hope to which he has called you. Okay, I pray that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened. That you would know the hope to which he would call you. The riches of his glorious inheritance. Now wait a second. Like he just said a second ago that we already had hope. We already had hope in Christ. So what's Paul doing here? Praying for a deeper level of hope. Don't they already know hope? And I love the way that Tim Keller kind of translates this moment and this prayer here from Paul. He says, I want you to have your inner being so smitten and amazed by the hope you have in Christ that it would be as smitten and overwhelmed as your eyes are smitten and overwhelmed when you look at the sun. Because when you look at the sun, you're dazzled. You can hardly take it. I want your inner being to be like that with regard to hope. I want you to be riddled with it. I want your insides, I want your heart to be ablaze with hope. I love that. Because it's one thing to know hope within our head, right? But having hope, like in a sense of head knowledge, 
is very differently than having hope deep, deep within the heart. You can't muster up hope from a place of head knowledge. Hope, in order for it to be genuine, in order for it to last, has to come from a place deep within your innermost being. Has to come from a heart that has been completely absorbed, completely saturated by by the hope of Christ. This is how important it is. He is praying that the Holy Spirit will help them know this hope, the hope to which he has called them. And this is why the Christian hope, a biblical hope, is so important. Here's the reality. We can't allow culture to rob us and lead us away from the, from the hope that Christ has died to give us. In Hebrews, it tells us, it tells us this hope. It gives us this definition. It says, faith is the confidence of things hoped for, the certainty of things not seen. Faith is the confidence of things hoped for, the certainty of things not seen. You see, biblical hope, hope as defined by the Advent story, is life-changing certainty about the future, a future in Christ. Another way of saying this might be biblical hope is living now in a way that's completely changed because of what you know will happen in the future. That's hope, being certain about the future, something that is not yet, but being affected by it right now. Now, you may have kind of heard this illustration before. I've read it somewhere, but it's too helpful not to use. So you put two people in two rooms, same size room, same lighting, same humidity, same temperature, and you give those two people the exact same job to do, to screw part A onto part B over and over and over again, 10 hours a day. Same circumstances, same settings, same conditions, but you tell the person in the first room Hey, at the end of this year, you're gonna get $10,000. And then you tell the person in the second room, hey, at the end of this year, you're gonna get $1 billion. Same job, but it's not really the same job anymore, is it? Because how you do your job and how you process your job depends on what you believe the future is. So the first person in the room, they're saying, okay, this is kind of tedious. This is kind of boring. In fact, this is somewhat unbearable. I think I'm gonna quit. So they say to the person in the second room, man, don't you find this tedious? Don't you kind of find this very difficult and unbearable? Meanwhile, the person in the second room is saying, no, honestly, it's not too bad. Actually, it's, it's not really bad at all. It's all right. Why? Identical circumstances being processed in completely different ways because they have two different futures that they believe in. You see, you and I are unavoidably hope-based people. 
We are controlled how we live now. We are controlled how we live in the moment by what we think will happen later, by our ultimate understanding of the future state. You see, Christian hope is rooted in our future as followers of Jesus, not in the immediate. I love the way that Jonathan Edwards, he puts it in his sermon on Christian hope and happiness. He says, there are three things you need to know. He says, your bad things, number one, will turn out for the ultimate good. Number two, your good things can never be taken away from you. And number three, the best things are yet to come. The best things are yet to come. See, the Christian hope, the hope that followers of Jesus have is the ultimate future. And that affects the way in which we live now. So we've looked at this contrasting hope. We've looked at the importance of our hope that we have in Jesus. But it's also important for us to understand, okay, what this hope actually is. Like, what, what is this hope in Christ that you and I have in the hope of a follower of Jesus, the hope of a Christian is ultimately rooted in the character of God and who God is. So the things that we believe about God and what you believe about how he sees you is a huge factor of the hope that we have. What you believe about God and how you believe that he sees you is a huge factor in what our hope is. And we can turn back to the Advent story. We can turn back to Ephesians and remind ourselves of God's character and remind ourselves of what our hope is as Christians. In Ephesians, it gives us a glimpse here. It gives us a glimpse of the personal hope that we have rooted in the character of God. This is the, the portion of Paul's prayer that he prayed that I mentioned earlier, mentioning that we are God's inheritance, that we are God's most treasured possession. So this is really important for us to understand and important for us to see here. When God looks at the entire universe, when God looks at all of the galaxies and the beauty of everything he's, he has created, when he looks at the magnificence of it all, the entire cosmos, he takes most joy and sees the greatest value in you, in you. You are God's most treasured possession. The God of the universe who owns all the galaxies, who has all of the wealth under the surface of the planets. When God looks at you, he feels rich. That's how much God values you. And, and here's why this is unique to our hope and important to our hope. So if God values you right now like this, if the God that we see in the Advent story who would go to infinite lengths to come down and be amongst us, to go to the cross for me and you, that he values you like that, 
What's it going to be like when he actually meets you? What is it going to be like when the God who values you that much actually sees you face to face? What is that moment going to be like? Won't that be a glorious moment when we meet our creator face to face? I love the way that C.S. Lewis puts it a lot better than I can. He says, if we let him, if we let him, he can make the feeblest and filthiest of us into dazzling, radiant, immortal creatures, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. He will make us bright, stainless mirrors which reflect back to God perfectly his boundless power and delight and goodness. This is what we are in for. Nothing less. And although we are hoping and longing and waiting for this future, Paul reminds us here in Ephesians, we have been sealed by and given the gift of the Holy Spirit, a deposit, a down payment for what is to come in eternity with Christ. The Holy Spirit is a down payment for our future redemption. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that our future hope becomes infused with our present hope and reality. The great comforter, the guide, the Holy Spirit reminds us and breathes in us the hope that we have right now. And you see, this, this kind of hope that is rooted in the future and yet a hope that, that is being reinforced and breathed into us right now by the Holy Spirit is a hope that cannot be contained. It's a hope that cannot be hidden. You've probably been around these kind of hope-filled people. This kind of hope, I mean, it's, it is contagious. It's striking. And this is the kind of hope that Jesus came for us to have. This kind of hope is so different from the kind of hope that the world holds on to. This kind of hope just simply overflows out of who we are. And in a season where people put hope in so many things that are gonna leave them feeling hopeless, we have the opportunity in this season as followers of Jesus to be hope, to embody hope to a hopeless world. Because of what he has done and because of how he has empowered us through the gift of the Holy Spirit here and now. And I've been thinking this week, okay, well, what, is this, what does this look like? Like, what does it look like for us as the body to embody the hope that we have in Jesus, rooted in the heavenly realms? And ironically enough, Brandon sent me a message on Saturday, just a story. He's like, read this. This is a really really cool story. And I started reading this story and I was like, this, this is what hope looks like 
embodied uh, to the people around us. So I wanna read just a snippet from this news story. You may have heard about it already. So a Dutch church is holding a service that has been going on continuously for a month, all to protect a family from deportation. The Bethel Church and Community Center in Hog has been helping an Armenian family whose asylum claim has been rejected. But Dutch law prevents police from entering a church while a religious service is taking place. So hundreds of pastors and volunteers have been holding a 24-7 service, now clocking in at over 800 hours in order to shield this family from being deported. A Netherlands church official says that talks are going on behind the scenes to resolve this issue within the government. And I'm like, they gave hope to people without hope, all because of a hope that they had in Jesus. And I'm thinking about us and I'm thinking about you. I'm like, what could happen if our hope bubbled up and spilled out into our communities? What kind of things would happen? What kind of things would happen in your workplaces? What kind of things would happen in your neighborhoods? What kind of things would happen in Nashville? What kind of things would happen in the United States if this kind of hope bubbled up and began to be lived out among those who are hopeless? I believe that God is going to give us opportunities to be hope to the hopeless this Christmas season. I believe God's gonna give you an opportunity this week to be hope to someone in a hopeless situation. But one of the things that I realized kind of coming into this morning is it's one thing to muster up hope, like I said, from that place of head knowledge, and then it's another thing to have hope that's coming from an overflow overflowing place by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. So I realize some of you come in here this morning and you're like, man, I I want that. I long for that, but I'm not there. My heart is not full of hope this morning. My My heart has not been full of hope this season. And I love, I love Paul's prayer. He says, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would be filled. You would be filled with the hope that Jesus so desperately desires to give you. And so what I wanna do this morning, I want us to just talk about hope. I actually wanna give you an opportunity to be prayed for, that you would be filled with the hope of Christ. If this morning, in any way, shape, or form, you feel hopeless, we wanna meet you where you are. We wanna pray for you. So here, when we head to communion, if you're like, I want prayer, I want hope, come to the back. There'll be men and women who would love to pray with you. In fact, if you're a regular and you're a family member, if if you were filled with hope and you wanna pray, I just invite you to come back, grab a respond badge, pray with those who, who want the hope of Christ this season. And the rest of us, as we gather around the table, we are going to, we are meeting our source of hope. Each week that we gather around the table, this is not just rote tradition that we do. No, this is a very real life breathing thing. We are meeting Jesus at the table, the source of our hope. 
And I wanna invite you to pray a couple of things. One, that God would renew our hope in him this, this Advent season. And two, that he would give us opportunities to be hope to the hopeless. And that he would give us the eyes to see those opportunities. So I wanna invite us to stand. I'm gonna pray for us. If you wanna receive prayer, come to the back. If you wanna pray for people, come to the back. The rest of us, I just wanna invite, let's go to the table, the source of our hope, and let's pray together. Father, we love you. It is in you. It is in you that we have hope. A hope that goes far, far beyond our circumstances. A hope that goes way far beyond the reality of this world. We don't have to look far, God, for us to realize just the brokenness around us, the hopelessness around us. I know many of us are experiencing it in this room right now. And God, I would just ask that you would do more than my feeble sermon was able to do as we get ready to enter to the table. Uh, that, that you would go beyond my words, Lord. I just admit that they are, um, they are not enough. Like we need your, your Holy Spirit to come and to, to impart this hope in our hearts. God, so for those who are hopeless, will you, will you give them the courage to come and just receive prayer? There is no condemnation in this place. <laughs> there is no condemnation in your name, King Jesus. And so coming to you to receive prayer is a beautiful thing. And so God, I'm just asking by the power of your spirit, will you fill us with a hope? Will you impart in us a hope that goes beyond our understanding, that goes beyond my feeble words? King Jesus, we just admit that you are, you are king. You are on your throne. You are seated in the heavenlies. That you have prepared a place for us that we long for. Lord, we just, we just admit we long for you to come back. We long for you to take us home. We long for that place where there are no more tears, where there's no more heartache, no more anxiety, no more depression, no more angst, but where we see you face to face. Finally, where we see you face to face. We long for that, King Jesus. Will you come quickly? But until then, will you give us the hope in which we long to live with? Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. And together as a whole church, we say, Amen.